Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Gina Cox, retired Vice President of Academic Affairs at Highlands College, to discuss leadership lessons from her law and business experiences that can apply to biblical higher education. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, President of the Association for Biblical Higher Education. And we are honored to have uh, with us as our guest this week, Gina Cox. Gina served as the Vice President of Academic Affairs at Highlands College in Birmingham, Alabama, and has actually recently retired, which we may actually get into some of that in our conversation today. But I've invited Gina to talk about leadership lessons from outside biblical higher education. And you'll hear her story where she came out of the context of law and business was a mom, had a gap of time where she raised kids before entering the academy. Uh, so we want to talk about what are, the, what are the differences in making that kind of a transition? What are some good lessons uh, that we can learn uh, from the law and business sector that she brought into uh, higher education? So welcome, Gina, and thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, Philip. I'm honored that you would consider me uh, worthy of being a guest. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in fact, I became president of ABHE uh, three years ago. So one of the first questions I asked as a president coming in was, who are our institutions that are kind of on the cutting edge, making a difference, that are really owning their mission statements and are thriving, flourishing as institutions? And when I asked that question, Highlands College was towards the top of that list. So I think you were either my second or third school visit that I made. And you all rolled out the red carpet, and it was just so neat to see what God is doing at Highlands. So uh, we're going to have some specific questions about your experiences. But before we jump into that, to kick off our conversation, as you reflect back over all of your experiences, share with us one defining moment that God used to propel you forward in either your personal or your professional life. I have such a great one, and it really is the pivotal moment. And it goes all the way back to when I was a toddler, I was rather argumentative. And I remember my mother, a um, foundational memory is my mother saying through clenched teeth, you ought to be a lawyer. And, (laughs) you know, but of course, being not submissive and obedient, whatever she says, I'm not doing it. And, you know, fast forward through the years and I go to college. I was the first person in my family to complete college, to graduate college. My father immigrated here from Turkey and my mother's family came from Italy. And so anyhow, I get to college and I really kind of flounder because I'm first generation. I don't know what to do, where to go, how to do things. And, but I did fine in college. And then I started a graduate program that I didn't finish because again, lack of 
wisdom and counseling and advising. And so I began my professional life in Washington, D.C., just working jobs that I had. And I was the last hired at a commercial real estate company. The tax laws changed in the early 80s, and I was the first to be let go. But the defining moment is when my boss told me that I would be let go, she said to me, you ought to be a lawyer. The exact words my mother had said decades before. And I really do now, looking back, believe that was very much a prophetic word for me from her. And fascinating, or kind of, I don't know if it's ironically, that's probably not ironic, but I went to lunch that day and I went to a Chinese restaurant and I got a fortune cookie. And I kid you not, that fortune cookie said, you would make a good lawyer. I am not. In fact, I still have it. I meant to get the little slip of paper to show you. I have saved that piece of paper. And, you know, I I mean, God can speak through fortune cookies. I mean, that's going to probably upset some people. But, you know, I feel that it was more affirmation of, of that. And so that week, the LSAT was being given. This was a Tuesday. And I remember calling and, you know, making my late registration and paying my late fee and just, okay, well, here it is. And I did well on the test and ended up going to a great law school. And on my second day there, I met my husband and he was from a family of great believers. I had grown up Catholic, never had a Bible. And so going to law school really was that defining moment. And I really... It really was more even that my boss confirming the words of my mother. Of course, what would I say of all that? I would say to people, listen to your mother. She probably was right. I might have saved about seven years of my life. But anyhow, so really from there, I, you know, went to law school, met my husband, really came to know the Lord, got my first Bible. I mean, it's just everything fell in love with the word of God And which then led me to, after I practiced law for a while and stepped out to raise my children, when I became an empty nester, I went back and got my MDiv just from that, but all from that defining moment of the Lord saying, hey, you didn't listen to your mother, but I'm going to put the words in someone else's mouth and then I'm going to send you a fortune cookie. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And what did your mom uh, say when you actually uh, enrolled in in law school? You know, I am not exactly sure what those words were, and they might not be fit for the Biblical Higher Education podcast. Remember, my mother was Italian and, you know, she had a bit to say. Well, I think we can use our imaginations on what that was, but God, God certainly does work in mysterious ways. And it's, it's his sovereignty, right? It's, he has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's working that out. And we may try to run from it, but he is is constantly there prompting us and, and using even fortune cookies to steer us in the right direction. And that was catalytic for you. That got you on that trajectory and, and that track uh, forward. So let's let's get into some of the some of the questions because they really relate to some of that transition. So you prior to leading at Highlands College, you had a you had a career. Uh, you had uh, a, a law career. Your husband's an attorney as well, more at the national level. So you that's kind of been what you all have, have been involved with for, for many years. When you made that transition from law, the secular business context, what was that like coming from that 
to higher education and maybe even more specifically biblical higher education? I'm glad you made that note about biblical higher education, because first of all, I can't speak to higher education as a whole because the only context I've been in. And I do think we operate a little differently, mostly for good, but in some ways that I think we could learn. I think the thing that surprised me the most about higher education was the, I don't want to say unwillingness, but just the, the less adaptable and agile. I don't think many people would use the word agile in the same word as higher education. No, in fact, I think I've heard higher education moves at uh, glacier speed. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, we just don't have that luxury anymore, right? We don't. Blockbuster didn't adapt. Netflix did now. And they're still adapting. And I think sometimes we have this idea that what we're doing is so sacrosanct that it's untouchable. And that we have to do it this way. And the world is, I mean, we can't, you know, and, you know, I really appreciate somebody once said when speaking about people commenting on the frustrations of technology and not making things work and all that. And the point they made was God put you in this moment in history, in this zip code. He knew what technology would be out there. He didn't put you here in this moment to say, I can't figure that out or that's too hard. No, no, no. Are we looking at ChatGPT and saying, ah, it's the enemy, it's the enemy. Or are we saying, how can we use that to advance the cause of biblical higher education? And then when we see that, if we even are willing to see it, then do we have the ability to adapt and then how quickly can we adapt? So I think the thing that was surprising to me was this idea of adaptability and agility because, you know, Philip, Yale's most popular course is online free. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and I'm glad that you actually used it within it, it. It's unique, I think. And the term that I've used before with biblical higher education is we often theologize our methodology where we, we focus on the how of it and that's what can't change. But in reality, those are all means to the end to achieve the mission and they do need to change. And I love the fact that you use other examples because it it does happen in the business context where Kodak and uh, in the book, Good to Great, some of the examples that Collins was writing about, I think Circuit City is mentioned in there as one of the companies that was on the forefront and what happened to Circuit City, you know, that no one even knows what Circuit City is today. Why? Because they failed to adapt. And that that principle is is huge for higher education in our and you use the example of ChatGPT and I've come across many instances where institutions immediately created a policy you can't use it you know well is hold on a second there there's just, just like any technology there are good aspects to it there are bad as- aspects to it but how do we use it because we know our students, we know our faculty, we know our staff are going to use that. and are So then how do we bring that into the experience as opposed to be resistant to it? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that in realizing one of the things that we have to do is that say, okay, well, all that content is out there and most of it's free. And most of it, I or a student could watch at home 
in the comfort of their, you know, living room. And what do I, am I, how am I competing with that? So what I used to tell our instructors is there's all the content is out there. It's out there. It's not our job to deliver content anymore. It's our job to help students know who to listen to, make sense of the content, use the critical analysis of all of this that's out there. So, you know, if you sit me in a lecture hall and you just talk at me, I'm out. There's nothing there for me. But if I come into that lecture hall having read and, and experienced things and can interact with my fellow classmates or the instructor or the professor and learn how to make sense of the content, are we willing to adapt to the, the reality of that situation? God did not give us the luxury of living in, you know, what the, a time of in like the Dead Poet Society where we're wearing robes and unless I guess we're still at Swanee and, you know, all of that. But that's just not the season God placed you and me in, you know? Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. Uh, so making that transition, and maybe a, a, this is something that you and I had talked about before, maybe a bit more of a provocative question or digging a little bit deeper personally for you. Obviously, uh, you're a woman, a uh, woman in leadership coming into the context of biblical higher education. Were there any uniquenesses with you coming into that? Because we know that our sector is is pretty male-dominated. That has shifted and changed over the last several years. But talk to us a little bit about that transition for you. So that's a little bit of a ringer question, not on the prepared list. And, and I love I'm going to delight in answering this, but I think that it would have been good because I would have maybe been able to massage my words a little bit more than. Well, that's we we want the real we want the real Gina here. So here's the bottom line in the church world and biblical higher education. You actually have a segment of people whose theology teach them that I should not be doing the job I'm doing. And I will be very honest with you, Philip, I would walk into rooms at the ABHE conference and you need to say a word, didn't need to say a word. When I would, you so graciously gave me opportunities to present, there would be people in the audience who you could tell they were putting up their wall. I cannot listen to this. And so I would come home and reflect with my husband about some of these things and not just at the ABHE, but just in the context of biblical higher education as a whole. And we would be shocked because 
There are things that we do in biblical higher education when we interact with women that you would lose your job if you did that in the legal, in a law firm, in a business. And we tend to think it's okay because of some understanding or misunderstanding of a theological principle. So I did find it frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that we've been working on. And I've uh, uh, another podcast that we did was very specifically on women in, in leadership within biblical higher education. And, you know, when I started going to meetings, even 15 years ago, it was almost exclusively male dominated. And you fast forward to today, I think a lot of progress has been made, but I think there's 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 more more that we can do from a diversity perspective. And that's a, it, it's an added layer that people don't realize for, for women who are in leadership. And yes, we do have institutions that are going to take a, a biblical or theological stance on that. And, and we respect that. That's within, that's within our, our community. Having said that, that doesn't necessarily excuse or treating somebody differently because they are a woman in, in leadership. And uh, so we're, we're really trying to be very intentional about bringing women uh, in who are leaders at our institutions, because there's so much that you can contribute uh, to the conversation, not only through your experiences, both positive and negative, but also just from how you approach the job and how you lead your sector within, within the institution, specifically here, Highlands, Highlands College. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I do sense that very much from you, Philip, and from the ABHE and Dave Matters and everybody, there has never been a shadow or a hint, but it's still out there. And it, I'm, I'm not saying the business world is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the business world has put in safeguards that have shaped them in a way that they're just things that you wouldn't do in those contexts anymore. Yeah. You know, in our in our uh, meeting that we had uh, preparing for this, uh, you had shared something. I'd love for you to talk about it. That counsel other women in leadership, and you say, yes, you you can have it all, just not all at once. You know, I grew up in a time in the I was born in the '60s, and you know, women were just beginning to step into certain roles, and it was definitely the odd person, woman who was in leadership, and. I always knew that I wanted to work and do something significant, but I also always wanted a family and just the messages are so confusing and the messages typically are either or you can't have a family and a career. And there are times when I certainly felt that way, that it wasn't either or proposition, but God, but God, right? So God did give me the desires in my heart and that I was able to get this fabulous education and have this fabulous time as a, an attorney doing some exciting things. And, but then I had three children in four years and no family within 300 miles and childcare is still a massive challenge, but even more so 30 years ago. And so I stepped out and happily and loved, oh my goodness, some of the sweetest, best, most wonderful, fun years with my kids. And, you know, I used to say to people, I had the anti-leadership philosophy of parenting, set your goals low and you'll achieve them. Because at the end of the day, if you have three children under the age of three and they're all alive and fed and there's been no blood, it's a great day. 
you know, <laughs> it's a great day. Yeah, and yeah. so I then was just as the my life progressed, opportunities were open to me. My kids opened, my kids moved on and up and away and as they should. And, and then all of a sudden I had this opportunity to get another degree, to go work in an incredible place that gave me great opportunity. So I do say that you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great wisdom. That's great wisdom. So thank you for sharing and pulling back the curtain on your experiences. Talk to us about, maybe give us three lessons from higher education that we can learn in higher education that you kind of brought from the business context over to higher education. What are three things uh, that you would say, hey, these, these translated really well from the business context that for our listeners as they're leading at institutions may want to consider lessons learned from business? I think that it's a lot of what we've been talking about. You know, first of all, one is honesty. So somewhere in our biblical lives, we've decided that it's not pastoral to tell the truth. And again, in business, you just don't have that option, right? And I think we seem to forget that when Paul talks about speaking the truth in love in Ephesians, he's actually talking about when we grow up into him who is the head, when we are become mature, we can speak the truth in love. And so business, you're not going to last a minute in a healthy context if you don't speak the truth, if you don't look at the numbers and say, that's not working. So I think that coming into higher education, that is an area that we, you know, I just, I mean, that's how God made me, right? And I'm going to tell the truth. And sometimes it wasn't fun, but at the end of the day, it was so good. And as my, the people that worked with me reflect back, reflect back to me now. And even then we always knew where we stood. We knew where things, where, what needed to get better, what, what was doing great. We always had a sense of confidence about where we were and who we were and the job we were doing because I was speaking the truth. Now, I didn't always speak it in love, I confess, right? But I tried as opposed to just, you know, just glossing over and saying nice words. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's not working. How do we fix it? You can't fix something that you, you don't fix something that you think's working. And so are we honest with ourselves about the going back to that, the context of the times, our adaptability, our agility? Are we honest with ourselves when we do our assessments for higher education? Are we assessing the right things? Are we only assessing the things that are working? You know, and so I think that that's an area that I would like to see biblical higher education grow more in is um, just this idea of let's be honest with ourselves, what's working, what's not working with the people who we work with. The other thing, and I've kind of said it already, is the adaptability and the agility. We, we have to answer, ask and answer the hard questions and then change. We have to be able to move quickly and maybe not at the speed of an entrepreneur, but maybe faster than the speed of waiting for someone to retire, right? And then we're waiting for them to retire because we don't speak the truth in love. And it just, then we end up being just in this stagnant state. And 
And, you know, businesses just can't do that. They don't have, if they do, they die. And I think we've been carried along. There's a lot of, you know, theories about that. But I read an interesting article in preparation for this. And here's the opening foray of the article. Colleges and universities were built around the needs and desires of faculty. Academic majors mimic departments and disciplines. Faculty design the curriculum on their terms, their timelines. Course catalogs and schedules were dictated by the needs of professors. And at many institutions, research was seen as more important than the student experience and the student success of students was left up to them. Ouch. But it's true. And, you know, we need to look and say, you know, if you wanted to be a professor in the 50s, that's awesome. But God didn't put you in the 50s. So let's do what God has called us to do here and now. And I, when I went to law school, I, through the providence of God, happened, I say happened into, that sounds in a conflict, but from my perspective at the time, happened into an amazing law school. I went there for me because it was the least expensive one. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I graduated from University of Virginia Law School, which is a top 10 law school. Again, I happened into it from my perspective. Providentially, God worked to get me there. Why is it a top 10 law school? When I graduated from law school, before I started my third year of law school, over 90% of my classmates had jobs. So why was it a top 10 law school? It's a top 10 law school because it produces a great product that the market wants. And then the market keeps coming back to that same store because they, it's a known product. It's a good product. What if we thought about biblical higher education like that? What if we said our graduates will be the most skilled, the most ethical, the most competent, the most timely? Let's build that person. And then if you build it, they'll come. They'll keep coming back. So I think it's thinking like that adaptability and agility and being honest with ourselves that we can learn from the business world and, and just bring into and being a better product for the world. So basically a value proposition, right? And, and, and people who know me, I talk about this all the time the difference between value and, and distinctives. And when we talk about distinctives at our institution, we're small, we have small classes, we have a great campus environment, great dorm life, great athletic program, great dining hall. You've now described every institution that's a Christian higher ed institution. When we talk about value is what do I get out of the experience? And, and that, that works against the academy. And I think you've articulated that well, because it's a consumer mentality. What do I get out of something. But I think it's a fair question to ask, especially when somebody's going to invest significant resource, both money and time into something. We don't approach anything else in life that way, where we just say, okay, well, it is what it is. No, if we're going to invest time and money into something, we're going to ask some of the hard questions of what do I, what do I get out of this? And actually it, it, it flips the conversation because then people will actually want to pay for that because of the high value that they get as a result. And in this case, how you illustrated for law, it was, you're going to get a job after this. When I think about biblical higher education, the stakes are so much higher 
we're not training people to go to be good lawyers. We're training people to go in the context of the church and society and share the good news of Jesus Christ and fulfill the great commission, go and make disciples. And I just think to myself, man, when we consider the stakes as high as that is, everything that you say resonates significantly. And I think that we think about it less about what experience our students are having at college and more about how are we advancing the kingdom by building the workers that Jesus asked for, right? So let's build, like I said, the most competent, the most ethical, the if they're in the highest range of their skill set and advance the kingdom in law and education and medicine and whatever they major in, right? In Lord knows we need biblically trained students in preschool education, right? Let's let them be that you can't not hire these graduates. That's the project because then we advance the kingdom, right? And that's what I think the project of biblical higher education should be more focused on as opposed to, you know, going to a university in the United States now where, you know, it's like Disneyland, you know, no, no, we, we don't have that luxury. We are on mission. Yeah. Love it. Well, we're, we're down to our final minute. And uh, so to, to close us out, Gina, this has been a great conversation. You have listeners, you have potential young listeners who are in leadership. What's one word of encouragement that you would give to those leaders today as they're fulfilling their responsibilities at our institutions? The project of biblical higher education your job is a part of God's project. It's not up to you. That this whole thing has existed before us and will exist after us. And you've been given an opportunity to play a role in a God project. And you, if you take that on, it'll crush you. So look for, and there's a new word out there, a new use of the word. We talk about a trigger. Well, the opposite of a trigger is a glimmer where we see just a little bit. Look for those glimmers of God throughout the day. Look for those affirmations of God saying, see, I got you. See, do we, we tend to see all the negative things happening, but what if we open our eyes and reminded ourselves every morning, okay, I'm getting up, I'm going to work. It's God's project. It's God's work. I get to play a role. Where is he at work today? And that is what propelled me through this, you know, helping to grow this institution for the last 10 years from, from you know, 72 year interns to a four year college with seven degrees. And it's God's project. And if I ever buried off of that, it was crushing. Well, that uh, takes the focus off us, doesn't it? And that's so, that's so critical. So Gina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for sharing. I know that you've been an inspiration to those that you've led at Highlands. And now that you're in this stage of retirement, being able really to, to focus back into your family, back into your kids, back into your grandkids. So we wish only the best for you as you move forward from, from Highlands. So thank you for the conversation today. Thank you. Absolutely. So until next time, stay kingdom focused.
Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.